Good afternoon. You are listening to the Recovery Hour talk radio show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the CAT 10 ENT network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. afternoon ladies and gentlemen and once again welcome to the recovery hour this is bill and tanisha and as always as we always say we really have a treat for y'all today and i know we always say it but it's always true so if you're telling the truth keep telling it today we have adult supervision but before we get off into that i would be remiss if i first didn't say a shout out to our sponsors shout out to the stepping up initiative which is a national initiative that has been adopted here in Rockdale County. The purpose of this initiative is to reduce the number of people in jails that have mental health, substance use disorders, and that look like us on the inside or on the outside. It's about improving a system. It's about addressing a serious issue that we all know about, and we have decided to do something about it. And I'm, we're proud and privileged to be part of that. Shout out to Commissioner Doreen Williams, who is the tip of the spear. Without her leadership and guidance and commitment and dedication to this cause, we probably wouldn't be here doing this like this. And also shout out to Hurricane Maine and the His Hop Nation. Shout out to Cat 10 Entertainment, because without that platform, we probably wouldn't be on here doing this like this. With that being said, to, like I said today, man, we got adult supervision. So everybody make sure that you're on your best behavior today. Once again, it's not our first time now. You know, they say lightning never strikes twice in the same place. That isn't true because today we have an opportunity to, with, to have a little bit of time with Superior Court Judge Nancy Bills, who is like, <laughs> I don't know if y'all seen the movie Thanos. Uh, the Avengers. But anyway, she's got the power glove, I'm telling you. But man, there's not a better person. And so with that being said, there are so many things that are happening. But before I start talking about that, Tanisha, say hi to all the people out there in Radio Land. Hello, everyone in Radio Land. Hello to all of our listeners and our followers from social media. Um, I just want to say it is a pleasure and an honor for me to sit here today with this woman who has just been such a powerful leader and so impactful in my journey and my recovery. And um, I'm just honored to be here with you all today. Yes, yes, yes. You absolutely. So without any further ado, Judge, could you introduce yourself and tell people who you are, kind of what you do and why you're here with us today? Sure, I will. Thank you both for having me on again. I am honored to be here. And my name is Nancy Bills, and I am currently the Superior Court judge who presides over adult drug court. For many, many years before, I've been here almost a year. For many years before that, I was in DUI court and state court. And so I am very proud of Tanisha and all of the work she's been doing because I've I've seen her grow and just become such an amazing leader and advocate. And it's just an honor to be able to work side by side with Tanisha and Bill and all of the other peers, whether they came through our program or another program. It is the, in my opinion, peer support is what sets our programs apart from any other program. And I attribute any success that we have to, if I had to rank in priority what's important for a recovery program or an accountability court program, peer support is number one. Wow, that is so powerful. And so for all the people out there in Radio Land, I want you guys to understand the power that, that's taking place right here in front of us, because I know you heard me say, my name is Bill and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And, and what that means is that I took the wrong road for sure for a very long time, but I still ended up in the right place. And probably about 15 years ago, when my journey got on the right path, <laughs> 
I stopped making left turns. I made that right turn. And, and, and I, there was just a lot of things that I didn't know. I didn't know how to do a lot of things. And, and a lot of our systems have educated me and, and have done a lot of things to support me. I got a chance to go and get certifications in a lot of areas that once were defined as my deposits. Today, those things are strengths. It made sense out of all of those, that negative inventory and the very thing that a lot of people labor with today has become those tests are today my testimony. And, and so when I came here to Rockdale County to start partnering with our system here as, as the project developer for the Stepping Up Initiative, and I was in a meeting with um, a very smart lady who was a clinician and had done a lot of work with a lot of people in this community. And I was asking her, give me the skinny, tell me kind of what, you know, what I need to know to be successful, because this is a whole new deal. This is a whole new community, a whole new vacuum. And she said, well, Bill, I'm going break it down to you. She said, first of all, there's a lady named Nancy Bills. She's a judge. And you're going to want to sit down with her or get a meeting with her. And the way that meeting goes will, to a great degree, determine your ability to be successful. And I knew exactly what. I knew exactly what that meant. Yes, sir. You know, and, and so one of the one of the testament to that that is is to, you know, a lot of our systems used to be predominantly male driven. And, and you know, there were a lot of things that predominated our systems and, and our leadership and all those things. What that meant for me was that guess what? Get this one right, you know, and I've made a lot of mistakes. But that was clearly outlined on the paper, so I couldn't miss it. <laughs> and I remember that first meeting like it was yesterday. And I remember sitting down with the judge and saying, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. And I realized the, you know, the potential that this meeting has, you know, and I was just trying to be very strategic with my words. And she said, okay, go for it, you know. And when I left that meeting, I knew that there was hope for this whole thing. And, and I didn't know to what degree that was going to be, but I just knew because what the last thing she said to me when I walked out of that meeting, she took out a card and she wrote her number on it. And she said, if there's anything I can do to support you, call me. Now I've been in front of a lot of judges before, but <laughs> and, and let me just say, I've got very few numbers, but anyway, <laughs> I, I've got a couple in recovery, I got a couple. Before recovery, I got no numbers. I ended up with some numbers that were across the back of my shirt. However, that's a whole different thing. And, and so I, I just, in the last two or two and a half years that I've partnered with you guys here in Rockdale, the judge has been instrumental with giving us access, access to people. She has as a matter of fact, Tanisha and I often laugh and talk about it because we were in a meeting very early in Tanisha's career and the judge was on there and there was a project that we were getting ready to undertake. And, you know, everybody was kind of jockeying for position. And she said, Bill and Tanisha, I want y'all to take the lead on this. And so that kind of solves it for you when the judge <laughs> said that. It's kind of like we don't have to worry about picking straws. <laughs> Because they've already been picked, but it was in that in that thing right there that I was able to identify the power of Tanisha's work, the power of our partnership, and the power that happens when the people that drive our systems understand the importance of opening the doors of recovery and honoring people who are in this process honoring their words and their opinions and all of those things. So judge, I just want to thank you so much for everything you've done. And now a lot of things I've seen and one thing I've never seen, never saw a judge in the dunking booth before. <laughs> so when I saw judge bills in the dunking booth, I said, this is going to be good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Cause I've That's never seen people. Said too, before they dunked me. Yeah. You know, and, and I saw people really trying hard to achieve another goal you know what i'm saying that involved the judge <laughs> and, and but but to the point and you know i digress but let me just say this judge i'm going to ask you a question 
In what ways have you seen the system change since you started? What are some of those changes that you've seen and experienced? I think the biggest change is the, the reception that we receive when we start talking about recovery. When we first started and DUI court was the first accountability court, I can remember going around town and talking to groups and clubs. And I knew at the time that I was swimming upstream. Now I feel like we're all swimming downstream together. Back in the day, and I know you'll remember this, accountability courts were hug a thug programs. They were, you know, soft on crime. They were not popular. And like any program, the data spoke for the program and the results. So it wasn't just me, you know, telling feel good stories or inviting people um, like we always do to graduation because that, that sealed the deal for me when I did my first graduation. Of course, that was a long, that was a long year, 18 months. And I was thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What? Because it's such a roller coaster, you know, people are on a high and they're sober, then they're, you know, they're relapsed. And then, so I got to the first graduation and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I get it. I get why I'm doing this because recovery, when you see somebody recover is so powerful. So those are great stories. And that's how Doreen kind of first became involved with accountability courts and the other commissioners, we always invite them and they've been wonderful partners and stakeholders. But then you have to get past the feel-good stories to the data. What, what, after three years of graduation, past graduation, how many people have committed new DUIs? What's the recidivism rate? What's your sobriety rate while you're in the program? And those numbers have consistently been through the roof in a positive way. So like, you know, you in treatment, you hear evidence-based programs and data-driven this and that. And I am not a numbers person at all. I don't enjoy data collection, but it is so crucial and critical. And I think all of our programs, the proof has been in the pudding. I mean, we can talk all day long about the people and their stories. And as you know, that is super important, but it's not just that, you know, it's not just the people in their stories, but it's all the data that backs up, hey, this, this really does work. So that's, that's what really has changed is that now we don't just have our opinions about how great the programs are, we have the data to back it up. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of the community to carry out this vision and together we are stronger. So let me ask you a question and just kind of piggybacking on what you just said. So I got to, it really is two questions. One question is, why did you become a judge in the beginning? So that's one thing. And then the other question is, like you said, when you looked at and understood that, you know, some of the early challenges with being part of the accountability court, I don't know if you had a choice or whatever, but why did you sign up for that? even before you had had the experience of the graduation, knowing that it was an uphill swim. So why did you become a judge? And then why did you sign on for accountability court? So the first question, why did I become a judge, sort of goes back to why I became a lawyer in the first place. And it changed and grew as I did. But the bottom line is, and it's kind of the same reason you became a certified peer specialist, is as a lawyer and then as a judge, I can actually help people. Not every person is going to want my help, 
but I can help people if they want my help. So that was kind of what put me on this path. And then, because I had been a prosecutor and then a defense attorney before I became a judge in the same circuit. So I had the benefit of seeing kind of law and order and Rockdale County has always been super tough on DUIs. And I'll start with that since that was where I started. So everybody knows how, you know, how dangerous driving under the influence is. And it wasn't until later that we kind of caught up with alcoholism and its addictive properties and kind of tied those two things together. But in Rockdale County, it had always been, okay, we're tough on crime. If you get a DUI, you're going to jail. Okay. So when I became the state court judge, everybody that had a DUI, okay, they went to jail. Then you see the multiple offenders and it didn't, it didn't matter what you did on the first or the second DUI. Yeah, there was a little bit of jail time. There was probation, some other things, maybe an assessment, but it didn't matter how harsh you were with jail time. Nothing ever changed. So I'm one of those people who is not, I don't believe in doing things just because it's always the way we did it. So I started thinking, okay, that's not the answer. That, that is not the answer. I can put somebody in jail for 12 months for a DUI. The day after they get out, they're still the same alcoholic person that they probably were when I put them in. Mm -hmm. So when accountability courts were introduced to me, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's something different. We'll, we'll try it. So just thinking out of the box and trying to figure out how you fix one group of offenders when, you know, the other way has not worked with them. And then it just took off because it did work. And the people that needed the, the different approach benefited from it. So we just kind of took off from there. And then, you know, as you well know, adult accountability courts, um, resource court, adult drug court, juvenile court has multiple courts for accountability courts. So luckily everyone in our circuit, both in the courthouse and across the street in, in the commissioner's office, got on board, which you know, that rarely ever happens in a county. Yes. So with, with that being said, and, and there's another extra, there's another little thing that we do here on the show, Judge, and we may not have been doing it the last time you were here. So since you're here, we're going to make sure we do it this time. And what we do is we go back in time and we go for some of us is way back for some people is lesser back, but we try to go back to the beginning when we were little kids. And, and so when you were a little kid, Judge, what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm, a little kid, that's a hard one. Um, my first memory of what I wanted to be was, and I wasn't a little kid, but going back to high school, I wanted to be a prosecutor. So criminal law is always, I mean, Still, every TV show I watch is, you know, a crime show. Every book I read is either true crime or murder mystery. I mean, that has always been what fascinates me. And so that's what I always wanted to be. So, you know, something, Judge, that must be why we get along so well. We've got so much in common. So for my earliest memory, I wanted to be James Cagney. <laughs> <laughs> you well, since there you I go. Yeah, there you that's go. Why we get along so well. We both grew up to, to fulfill our dream, and then I had to make a right turn there. But uh, and Tanisha, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because I want to make sure the judge knows. A lot of our viewers and listeners know. I want to make sure the judge knows too. Yeah. So when when I was younger, I wanted to be the first NFL. Well, female NFL football player. Oh, um, yeah. I, I played my my brothers played sports. My dad coached, and I grew up around that. And and I kept questioning myself on like, how come girls can't play? You know. So I wanted to be the first female football player. 
I love football too. At the Super Bowl, did you see the teams that were co-ed? Yes. Yeah. And, and you, know, you, know something, <laughs> you know something mm-hmm. something really interesting for me and, and how it kind of translates across into, you know, just some of our recovery-based communication and something that our society perpetuates that, you know, because we always talk about people who are misinformed by some people who were misinformed by some people who were misinformed. And, you know, and that's kind of the way a lot of us end up where we are, because a lot of people told us to be cool, you need to do this or drink this or smoke this, or to be tough, you need to do this. And if you see the police, you need to do that and, you know, different things. But as I was watching the Super Bowl, and people always ask me today, which team are you for? And I always tell them, I'm for either one, right? And people can't really understand why I say that. It took me a long time to get there. One, because I hate to lose, so I don't want to take a chance. But (laughs) the other thing is that recovery has done something to me that I never thought would happen. And that being, I watched those guys play football and to realize that out of all the people on earth that know how to play football, here we have an assembly of 100 guys that are the best in the world. These are the best football players in the world. And now we have the two best teams of football players in the world playing for one goal, and that is to win the Super Bowl, right? And so here you've got these guys, and they're giving it their best. And what's interesting about that is not an individualized sport. It's a team sport. So you can't just win by yourself. You need these other people, and you need circumstances, situations, and everything to line up right. You need the other dudes to make some mistakes. You need all these things to happen just like life. And so here we have these two teams of people competing for this best thing and they go and they go and they go and it gets down to the last minute the last minute and 20 seconds and these other guys score and and these guys win by three points they win by three points and they're the best in the world so that means there's these other group of guys that just lost they came in second best to all the other people in the world and they're sitting down And our society has taught us that if you're second best of all the people in the world, that you sit down and you cry because you lost and you don't realize what you really won, right? And and I'm sitting there and I'm watching a guy and he's sitting there and he makes $50 million a year and he just competed and came in second place in the whole world and he's heartbroken. He's sitting there crying because he didn't get the best. And, And, you know, That's one of the things about for us as people in recovery, you know, we strive, we practice progress, not perfection, right? We do our absolute best. And if that isn't the best, then tomorrow we come back, we regroup, we look at everything that we had, we look at the data, we look at the statistics, we look at, we get advice, and then we try it again, you know? And, and, you know, there is no failure if you do your best, and, 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 you know, I was just doing a group yesterday and I was just talking to them about that because that's what I took away from watching the Super Bowl this year. You know, if you were the second best in the entire world, and, and I know that emotional intelligence is a really big thing because you have to kind of figure out how to get a grip on that emotion, you know, especially that the impact of the illness or the impact of the situation. But then to realize I'm second best in the world. And I got a check in the mail for $50 million. And I'll see you guys. I got three months off and I'll see you guys next year. You know, that's not an altogether bad place to be. And and for those of us in recovery, you know, Tanisha and I just got through working on a grant. And, you know, because we've got all these different stipulations, these people can't work on it if it's a nonprofit and all that kind of stuff. And and so we rolled our sleeves up and and we just got at it, you know, And, and, you know, we don't know if it's going to work, but we gave it our best. And, and I think our best is great. I think, well, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think our best is super. <laughs> and I know there are some technical aspects that we don't know. And, and so today when we got through, we sent it actually to the, one of the people that's at the place where, you know, and asked them, take a look at it and tell us if there's what we can do better or if there's anything that needs to be better. But I, I feel really good about just being counted in the number. 
Um, I feel really good about the evolution of our recovery community. So judge, and then, I, I, but when we grow up, we want to be able to write letters like you, right? Because this is the thing, man, your letter was super. <laughs> you know, every time that I hear you speak or, or I, I see your work, it always moves me the way other people tell me that my words move them, right? And, and that is a really big deal. Let me ask you a question, Judge. And I saw you in the Duncan booth. I saw you at the, the ladies' night out. And I saw you at, at a lot of our different things. Why do you roll your sleeves up and get in the trenches? Why is that so important to you, Judge? Well, I think in my career, I have come to realize in almost every area, relationships are really what is going to pull us together, take us where we want to go. I mean, back to your Super Bowl analogy, that's that's the key, right? Yes. Relationships, trust. The studies about accountability courts show that one of the most important things is the judicial part. And Tanisha will remember, so every time we had court, we had a face-to-face -face conversation. They've even gotten it down to the formula is supposed to be the judge talks to each participant for three minutes. Of course, that sounds like pretty quick, but three minutes can be really long if the person that you're conversing with is not conversing. So, you know, it's flexible. Some people would talk a lot more than that. Some people would talk less. But I didn't really, so three minutes in, in court, however often you have court, doesn't really, you know, you get to know a little bit about the person. But if, if the judicial piece is so important, then the more, the more I'm involved and the more I can earn their trust, because that's one of the first things I say to them, you know, you don't know us as a team. You probably don't trust the judge who says, you know, I'm on your side. So we have to build the trust with our participants. And if you only see me once a week or, you know, twice a month or however, what, whatever phase you're in, you may not really ever know if I mean what I say, you know, you're hearing what I say and you know that the hammer's going to come down if I've said the hammer's going to come down, but you may not understand that I really do mean, look, we're a team. We want you to succeed. We're not trying to trick you. We're not telling you something so that you'll go down this road and it'll really be, you know, something tricky. We really do. We want you to have the best job, you know, have the best family, have the best everything, recovery. So the more I can sort of socialize or do community service work or whatever the case may be, give participants a chance to dunk me, whatever it may be, I feel like I need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Yes, yes. So Tanisha, I want to ask you a question. Hold on, can I can I piggyback on that real quick? Because yeah, I, wanted, I wanted to say, just like you said, because I have been in, in those rooms with you, Judge, and I'm kind of making the analogy to what Mr. Bill was saying earlier about when he first met you and sat down with you and you said, what can I do to support you? I have been there to witness and see, you know, you say that those same words to people in the accountability courts program. So when we came into our, our court dates and, you know, we had those meetings with you, whatever we talked to you about or spoke to you about, you were always a person to ask, well, how can we support you in that? You know, if it's something, you know, and she was willing to write letters for people and actually help people, help support people to get to the next level. And even when, you know, even if it's something that we wanted implemented in the program or wanted something done. And I'll, I'll go back to that example with Sydney, you know, it was first brought about right there in the courtroom when he, you know, you asked, what do you all want? You know, and, and that was thrown out there. And you said, how can I support you in that? You know, how let's make it happen. And so when, when we get that type of support from our leadership, it does prove, you know, the, it gives us a place to place trust and to know that, you know, we have someone who is there to really give us a chance and support us. So I want to say thank you on that because it is true and I've seen it. Well, I yes, appreciate that. 
But I want I want you guys to know. So I learned I have learned a lot just in this journey period. But I think one important takeaway that I've learned from both of you in this in the recovery community organization, and it, I learned it really early on in that, and it kind of took me a minute to to kind of settle into it. But you know, as a court, we're so used to saying, okay, here's what you're going to do. Here's what it's going to be like. You know, here's, we're a team, but, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But when you get to the recovery community, I'm not part of that. I have not been down that road. So I can't, I can't be in charge. And I love that. I love, I love that, you know, what is the expression? No. No more for us without us. Exactly. Yes. No more for us without us. So that is something that I learned early on that is, that's, that's hard. That's a, I've told people this because I was in, in my former church, we had a celebrate recovery group and I always did the 101 class for the celebrate recovery. And I always said that I struggled with control. So it's no, it's no wonder that I am in the job that I'm in because I like to boss people around. Okay. That's the bottom line. So there is a job where you get to be bossy and it's a judge. So it's really good for me to get out of my comfort zone and, and support the community of recovery, but not be in charge of it. And I have enjoyed that journey and I have enjoyed watching you all lead and gather followers and then create leaders. So that has been just amazing to me and something I really treasure because that's not, that's, I've never been in that position before in that kind of scenario. So I appreciate that. Let us take a moment to thank the Rockdale Accountability Course for serving as the doorway to recovery for so many of us who at one time did not understand the importance that our recovery had on our lives. We appreciate all of the hard work and dedication that they put into holding the recovery community accountable and starting us out on a solid foundation to restore our purpose. You know, and and to that point, and I think that one of the things that it does to have leadership like you guys and the commissioner, man, she's out there too, man. She's rolled, you know, she's rolled up with it, you know. And and I think what that does, it erases stigma because a lot of people are under this misconception about us that is based on somebody somewhere, sometimes, you know, and it's usually a negative (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very rarely is you know what i'm saying when people talk about police they they're talking about this and that nobody says anything about the one that got the cat out the tree you know what i'm saying nobody mentioned that dude right and, and so I, I think that when we have these pro-social events and i remember very early on working with judge friesman and all that kind of stuff and i remember when she called me into her office and she wanted to make one of my other programs aftercare, and i was like amazed right because I, I remember her from the other side of the tracks. But, you know, when we have sat down and I've said to myself, as we were all sitting there eating, and I said to myself, Hell, I don't even think I've ever seen a judge eat before. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I used to think judges ate people, man. I, you know what I'm saying? I know, like, they actually eat food like the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? And they take those those black robes off too, right? I'm like, wow. I thought it was like some draconian shit, you know. But but I, I say that to say this, and I think the other thing is when we have leadership like you guys, it inspires us to give it up 110. Mm-hmm. See, because nobody wants to give 110 when you know that they're going to shoot it down. That they you already know that they don't believe big enough. For us to be a we, they, they don't believe that. You know what I'm saying? So to have leadership that believes, truly believes that that's motivational, inspirational, and, and revelational as well. And I think that's why we're getting this phenomenal result because 
we go to any lengths, you know, and, and so I know that in the hours and hours, and I think that Commissioner Williams had this, this awakening as well, because we used to broadcast the radio show and do groups from her house, right? And I think hearing us do groups, I think that was kind of eye-opening <laughs> or ear-opening at least. So uh, what a privilege that is. So anyway, Judge, I guess the next question that we want to ask you is about the Stepping Up Initiative, right? And, and how has the, in, in your understanding, how has the Stepping Up Initiative impact the sequential intercept map? And, and I know you obviously know about the intercept clinician because that's Brenda Ernest and she's the director stepping up. Obviously, you know about grid and grace and all of that. And I guess you know that we're getting ready to implement the opening doors to recovery project with Viewpoint. And Chris Jackson, got the, uh, he got approved by DBHDD and he goes to start work tomorrow. He starts tomorrow. Um, so that's big stuff. Um, you know that we we're doing the curriculum, the jail curriculums, and that's a really big deal. Uh, that's been super successful. You, we we want to have transportation, uh, transportation component that was part of the stuff in the grant. We want to have people doing all the stuff that you see us doing. We want to train people to do the radios and do the messaging and do all that stuff. And this is why we do it because we want people to know and create the evidence that it can flow. We want to have peer support on all levels. Levels. That's why I try to go to every meeting. And that's why part of my role as developer is to show them because you can't, some people can't just tell them. Some mm -hmm. people are from Missouri. You got to show them. And, and it's got to be a, a pretty interesting experience or they're not going to believe it or remember it. So let me ask you a question. How has stepping up impacted your, your thing and, and the, the thing at large? I think stepping up has Given the courts, because I know Judge Mumford and I both use Brenda and you and, and other people, you know, like hopefully when Chris gets on board, it's broadened what we're able to do. You know, accountability courts is just really a small section of what we each do, but we've got all these other cases and people and as you know from any kind of interview article every time you hear something about mental illness and mental health and people in the jails that's the biggest you know the homeless population mental illness is driving so many things in our communities in our courts and the impetus I think with stepping up and why it's so critical is that once somebody who's mentally ill gets into the jail, it's so hard to get out. And a lot of times they didn't need to be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. They needed help and their family called for help. And the only help available was, well, we got to take him to jail and then we'll go from there. So we know that's not the formula that works, but there was nothing else. So to me, stepping up has come so far and has helped us, even if I know we've diverted people from going to the jail. And of course, my, my absolute favorite part of that equation is the co-responder position that the city has, that they're getting, they're asking for another one that the sheriff's trying to get. Any, any because police, you know, I, I am pro-law enforcement, I am pro-police but you gotta give them the tools to be successful. And Chief Freeman in all of our meetings says it so well, you know, if you can keep them out of the mix when they don't need to be there, that's the best formula. Or if you have a co-responder, the police are sort of the second tier. So the clinician comes in, they do the assessment, they figure out where that person might need to be. The police can then back out and it can become either a medical issue, uh, you know, whatever the, the next place is, it's not law enforcement. So then you don't, you kind of can de-escalate, then you don't have people being shot or tased or, you know, whatever the case may be, because you've de-escalated it on the very front end 
and the police just get to walk it back and say, okay, well, it's in your good hands, Mr. or Ms. Clinician. So it's a smooth handoff. It's the perfect scenario where the person doesn't end up in jail hoping to get some mental health care. Yes. They go straight to whatever service they might need. Yes. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And, and you know, one of the things that has really uh, has been revelational for me is the willingness and the partnerships that are taking place in front of our eyes. I've heard a lot of lip service before, and I've seen people say a lot of uh, politically correct things when the camera's rolling and the lights are on. And then when the lights go off, you can't get an appointment with them, bro. You know what I'm saying? It's like, where, what happened to Buddy? But I see people not just talking to talk, but I'm seeing them walk, let us walk the walk with them. You know, um, I, I just, every time I walk down the hallway of the jail, you know, and I go to the jail every Friday, and, and, you know, we was we were in one of the steering committee meetings and um, one of the captains from the sheriff's office made a joke. He said, yeah, Bill Carruthers is going to jail tomorrow. <laughs> and I've heard that before, but I never felt like it was a joke. You know what I mean? So but you um, get to leave, you, know, you get to go out the door. Yes. And, and you know, to serve people and, and especially to serve our most vulnerable populations that may have been criminalized, but if you ever dig deep into it, the core, the root of it is, is something very fragile. It is something that was missed, something that was put into the equation or the formula that was tragic and, and it may be generational and it may be economic and it may be just a bigger issue that facilitates that thing. But, and you know, whether it's genocidal or whatever it is, and there are some big pictures that end up being snapshots and mugshots. And, and when it's a mugshot, that person is responsible for an entire system failure. You know what I mean? And, and it never gets to that part. And I lived that. I, I never, I was never eligible for anything that had clemency in it. People always said he needs to be, and then they were on the escalator up. You know what I'm saying? I was just hoping that I didn't end up with a needle in my arm. You know what I'm saying? For riding a bicycle without a headlight. You know what I'm saying? Because they were like, really? <laughs> he, well, they were really angry with me. And, and to understand that all of that, all of that crime, all of that alcoholism, and all of that, of oh, the drug addiction, all of that. And, and there was a part where I, it beca I became volitional and I was executing it, but it all came from a little boy who was sent to an orphanage and was hurt because his mother didn't come and pick him up. And it took me 50 years to figure that out. I didn't know what mm -hmm. happened. And so there are a lot of people that are walking around here in the state of being that they have absolutely no idea what happened, but they're, but it's happening and, and they're getting consequences and they don't know how to stop it. They don't even know how it started. And, and, you know, it wasn't until I came into recovery and encountered processes of, that helped me do self-investigation, therapies that helped me do some external stuff, tools, accountability, right? Because mm -hmm. that nudge from a judge, <laughs> I don't know, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It can really work for you if you let it. it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's powerful. So I, I, um, I, I just wanted to ask you again, Judge, in, in your estimation, well, I wanted to kind of ask you about grit and grace. I know that you you supported grit and grace and, and people understand that grit and grace will be a place and we hope it can be the aftercare component for the court. We hope that that's a place when people need to have these in-person meetings, you know, that we that's a place where it's a safe environment and, and it's a place where people really feel comfortable and, and we hope to have transportation there so that people can get to and from. We hope to be able to support people's work readiness. Uh, we hope to have people there that can do workforce development and employment readiness and connections and all of those things. So how do you see Grit and Grace fitting into the milieu? And you've seen a lot of the work we've already done. What do you kind of, what is your take on all that, Judge? Well, it's funny, the, the best example that I have that kind of reminds me how important it is, um, last court date, last Thursday, 
we had a delivery of the Grit and Grace t-shirts and you would have thought we were giving out, you know, free money. Everybody was so excited about their Grit and Grace t-shirt. And to me, that just solidifies what, what needs to happen at the yes. you know, as they're going along. But ultimately, the recovery community organization is the gathering place. I kind of visualize it. So it's a place to gather, it's a place to have fun, like-minded people, you can access resources, or you can just hang out, right? Because we've told, we've told our people, you know, you got to change people, places, and things. But then we have to be able to give them different people, places, and things, right? Yes. You, say you can't do that. You got to give them some other things they can do to make it a successful transition. Yes. So, grit and grace is, is super important in that in that way, the same way the housing money that we're getting is. Because you, yeah. you know, we can't get somebody into recovery if they're living in a house with their family members who have been using their whole lives and continue to use. Yes. So all of those things that, that are now moving forward at the same time are crucial and so important. And the one piece that we've always had in accountability courts that's always the hardest part is the alumni portion or the, you know, so we have aftercare in our program and you're still under supervision, you're still on probation, but we wanna light whatever fire in you so that you leave us and you go to this next group where, you're all peers, and if you want to be a leader, you can get certified to be a leader, but where you will gather with people who are like-minded and who have the same goals for recovery and sobriety and work and, you know, education and all the, the things that your goals, we want to hand that off to the next group. So to me, Grit and Grace provides that next transition on the recovery journey, and Hopefully it's a forever, it's a forever journey. Yes. And I'm, I heard you mention the alumni too, because that's, that's another big component. I've actually joined with the leadership team for the alumni group and are excited about that as well. And, you know, me and Bill talked about that when it comes to grit and grace, you know, opening that up to the alumni to be able to meet and join, you know, have things there too. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge some of our partners in recovery. We are appreciative partners of the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network and would like to acknowledge them for providing peers with mental health resources and opportunities to become certified peer specialists in specific domains of their recovery. You can visit their website by going to www.gmhcn.org. We are also proud to be in partnership with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They provide multiple recovery resources in the CARES Support Warm Line. You can visit their website by going to gasubstanceabuse.org. Yes, and you know, we were talking about and kind of brainstorming about how to really pump the alumni thing up. And, and this is what I know, when things have a purpose, a bigger purpose than just what they are, then people want to do it because everybody wants to do something purposeful. And, and so if we were to have a thing like Rockdale alumni is feeding the homeless or Rockdale alumni is doing this or alumni is doing this, I, people, will, people will get on board for that. You know, because it's worth it and, and it's it's got the why and it's got the what and it's got the who and, and it's got momentum and the very impetus comes from our core because by nature, and this is one of the things that we're doing in these programs, we're telling people, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps. And the 12th step is 
having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, and now I'm ready to do something with it. And, and I think that us giving them the resources and the support and then the opportunity, I think because every time I've seen one of those pro-social events and I've seen people serve, I've never seen people that are so ready to serve other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I really think that if we wrap that around that alumni piece and, and, and also food, <laughs> food can't fail, you know, and, and I think that can really go somewhere. And I didn't want to mess with it, but I think one of the things that challenges recovery development is prior instructions and it being prearranged, pre-constructed. When it's pre-constructed, people don't feel like it's theirs. They feel like they're doing what you told them to do. You follow me? And, um, and I, just, I just got that feeling and I look at the momentum and then I look at the players and, and then I look at some of the other things we do and, and I see the momentum and, and it, I think, you know, but anyway, I'm not in the thinking business. I don't think Tanisha is though. And so I'm going to steal it and say I thought of it. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you another quick question, Judge. I know that we've had a very interesting voyage through a pandemic. And I know that I remember where we were because we were in this place where nobody knew what to do and nobody knew what was coming. And then we then it hit. And then we were in a place where we were frozen in time and nobody knew what to do. And now we're at a place where everybody is still a lot of confusion and a lot of different things. But there are some things that have to happen. And, and so let me ask you a question. How have you as a system and then you personally, how have you navigated the pandemic? Well, I, I'm amazed at how the system adapted and especially you all. I'll give, I'll give you all the credit. And I, that's one thing that, that was in my letter. Nobody yes. even knew. I didn't know what Zoom was. Nobody knew what Zoom was you know, 2020, March of 2020, before, before everything shut down, if you had told me it would be so successful, you know, Zoom meetings and rap meetings and um, virtual recovery meetings, I would have been very skeptical. But when that's all you can do, that's what you do. And so the fact that you all pivoted so quickly and so just you know you knew what needed to go on and and it happened that's what kept our programs on the rails and I'm still amazed at how successful everybody in our accountability courts remained without in-person anything you know, we finally got back as soon as we could to testing, and that that was important. But still, being able to connect virtually, I mean, that's that's all kudos to you, you both, and your team of peers, and and we've we've striven, if that's even a word, strive. I think it is. <laughs> get back in person, the in-person stuff, but. You can't discount your, you know, the radio show, our Zoom calls, your rap meetings. I mean, I love to have, I love to have an in-person version of everything, but it's so important that we keep the virtual things going because if you're at work and you're just going to take a quick break and hop on the call and then hop back on to work, that's amazing that that you all have provided that opportunity to somebody. Who may just need a little, you know, a little connection, a little support, a little, you know, am I the only one feeling this? So that part has been the key, I think, to us staying afloat and moving forward. And in the regular system, it's the same way. I mean, we will always continue with a virtual option. With, you know, if you want to come in person, great, we'll have court in person. But if you're out of state, if you're, you know, in Atlanta and you don't need to drive out to Rockdale, I mean, the virtual options have given us a whole new way to do everything. I mean, court and meetings and everything. And as long as you 
as long as you have that connection, that's what people, that's what people need. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I, you know, I was in rap this morning. There was 22. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> it, Could you it, imagine never, 22 of us in that uh, in the lab room? No, yeah, no, that's the crazy part. Yes. You know, and, and so I just uh, I am so privileged to serve with you guys. You know, Tanisha has aspired to such stellar heights. You know, I, I looked at the grant application and I thought about, because I work with Tanisha all the time. And when we create a work product and I look at it and I think about, I think about the years and years and years of study and practice that went into whatever my contribution to that is. But I think about what that would look like if Tanisha wasn't in the equation. <laughs> It looked like your parents telling you, you know what, you should matter get this. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And, it's and a good I, team. It is a very good team. Yes, I, I am just so privileged and, and so proud to be part of the team. I'm so grateful for you and your leadership, for you opening the doors to recovery. You you said that uh that with the Zoom thing, you felt like that we deserve credit. Any time that you ask a judge to do something and they say, yeah, sure, go ahead and do it. Believe me. <laughs> From there on, the margin for success is greatly improved. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That means, uh, uh, yeah, you probably will get it right. Yeah. And anything that doesn't work, we need to fix it before the judge gets here. <laughs> right. Anyway, with that being said, Tanisha, do you have any questions, more questions for the judge? No, I really enjoyed the show and enjoyed the conversation and, and everything that came out of it. So, Judge, I want to ask you one more question before Tanisha sends us off. What message do you have for all the people that are going to hear the sound of your voice? My message to everybody listening is to get involved. There's a place for everyone. Each person, whether you're an advocate or an ally for recovery, whether you're a family member of somebody in recovery, whether you're in recovery, whether you want to be in recovery, Rockdale County has a place for you. So plug in, contact somebody, ask for help, ask for resources. If we don't know what it is or don't have it, we'll find out. I mean, that's that's what I that's how I feel about our team. We don't know everything and we don't have every resource, but if we can find out about it or hook you up with it or you know apply for a grant and get it, we will do that. There you go. Everybody out there in Radio Land, you just heard the judge say you can get the hookup. Anyway, with that being said, Tanisha, can you tell all the people out there in Radio Land how they can get this message? Yes, absolutely. You all just heard it from Judge Nancy Bills about connection. She talked about connection and being connected here in Rockdale County. So we would like to invite you all to stay connected with us. You can stay connected with us by going to our website. It's rockdalesteppingup.com and scroll all the way to the bottom of that page. There is a stay connected tab. If you click on that tab, it'll take you to a library of our monthly newsletters. And on those newsletters, each one has a, a message from Commissioner Doreen Williams, which is called the Commissioner's Corner. There's also a video of a person that we selected as a champion of recovery, which is a person in recovery telling their story and sharing their experience, their strengths, and their hope. And now we have a champion of change in the uh, newsletters. That is a person or a partner in our community who is a champion of change. They are implementing change in our community. Also, there are several different resources in there. There's a community announcements, events, and then re, uh, recovery resources in there. We also encourage you to follow our partners in recovery, Grit and Grace, a recovery community organization on all of their social media pages, which they're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all listed under Grit and Grace RCO. Also, if you wanna keep hearing these messages, the ones just like you've heard today, tune in on Cat 10 ENT on the His Hop Network every Wednesday at 12 noon. 
and Thursday at 1 p.m. Or if you can't listen at those times, you can listen to our podcast. We ask you to subscribe to our podcast called The Recovery Hour. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts. So y'all keep coming back. And also just for our listeners, we have created a Facebook community or a Facebook group called the Recovery Hour Community. So you all can personally connect with us. Keep coming back, y'all. Anyway, Judge, I want to thank you so much for your time. And everybody out there in Radio Land, we want to thank you for all your letters, all your support, all your emails. And we look forward to seeing y'all again next week. All right, y'all. Thank you. Later. Bye. Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.